0: Thanks for listening to our messages from the book of Jonah. A story about God's relentless, saving, and patient grace toward us. In this book, God is the hero. And for four weeks, we'll understand more of who he is and what that means for the everyday stuff of life. For more information, go to doxa-church.com. Good morning. Just saw something, whoa, hello. All right, let's pray. Father, first of all, we come before you mourning the loss of lives in London and aware of the brokenness and evil in our world. We cry out to you for help. Pray that you would comfort those who mourn, that you would be near to the brokenhearted, that you'd be a shelter and a refuge and uh, Lord, we we just join in grief uh, over that. We pray also this morning as we open Your Word and we learn from Your prophet Jonah that we would um, we would have a heart for the world, that we'd have a heart for people who don't know Your grace, don't know Your power, don't know uh, the amazing love that You have for us in Christ. So as we open your word, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, we invite you to convict us of our brokenness, of our blindedness, of our ignorance, of our even hard-heartedness, Lord, that you would change us this morning uh, for your glory and our good and for the good of our city in Jesus name. Amen. All right, I am Jeff Vanderstelt. I am kicking off our series in Jonah. Justin and I will be sharing in it the next these four weeks, so I'm glad to, to start us off. Uh, if you're new, I'm one of the elders who gives time both to preaching on Sunday like this, but also to helping us live out our mission of being disciples who make disciples in the everyday stuff of life through missional communities in particular. So that's where I put a lot of my energy in training the, the church to be faithful to that. So welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to Jonah. Chapter 1, we're going to read 1 through 16 together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Imittah, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. And went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great mighty wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Now, some have tried to discredit Jonah as fiction or myth due to the story of Jonah being swallowed by the fish, which is coming next. I'll let Justin deal with that next part next week. Uh, However, I want to make note that Jonah is a very real character, real live human. Uh, He lived in the reign of Jeroboam II, as it's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25, uh, Jesus also himself referred to Jonah as a historical person in Matthew twelve thirty nine through 41. Now, it's important to note that most prophetic books in the Old Testament uh, basically speak out to God's people a particular word that God has for his people. Jonah is a little bit more like Hosea in that the very story told in the, the narrative is a prophetic story. It's a, it's a picture of what God is like and what his people are like. And in particular, Jonah, God is trying to make it clear what kind of God our God is in terms of a compassionate, gracious God, abounding in love, slow to anger, And a God who is not only for his people, but through his people wants to bring blessing to the nations. And Jonah is a picture of Israel. Israel being a people who have taken for granted the grace of God and have neglected to see themselves as the means by which God would bless the nations. And so Jonah is a story of a people who have forgotten what God is like and what God has done. And have forgotten as a result who they are meant to be in light of that. A people of grace, a people who have received from God so that they might give. Now, I want to just stop and ask you this question because when you think about the people who should be the most gracious people in the world, it's the people who've received grace from God. Don't you agree? The people who have received the grace of a God who, though they deserve to be crushed for their sin, have been forgiven, loved, and accepted, brought into the family of God by no merits of their own, but by the merits of Christ and by faith in Him, we have been saved by grace, not by our works. And so, of all the people on the planet, the people who should be the most gracious are the people who know the grace of God personally. And unfortunately, Israel, though chosen by God and by no works or merits of their own, have failed to be gracious to the nations in this particular story. And I want to ask you, what has the grace of God through Jesus Christ produced in your life? Has it made you more gracious to others Think about it this way. How has my experience of God's grace and never-ending, never-giving-up love affected how gracious I am to people around me? Has it? Has it changed the way you treat people? Because if you really get grace, if you really understand what you deserve and what you've received instead, then you're compelled to not only be gracious, but to want others to receive the grace you've received. One of my favorite movies and also musicals is Les Mis. Anybody else with me on that one? Great, eh? One of my, of course, you know what scene I'm going to talk about if you've seen it. One of my favorite scenes that changes the entire direction of a man's life is the night when Jean Valjean is staying in the house of a priest, taken in, fed, cared for, gets a good place to sleep. He was an ex-con that's running from the law. Uh, violated parole. He gets brought in, cared for, loved. In the middle of the night, he gets up to steal the silver. Uh, the priest wakes up, comes into the, the dining room to find him, only to be hit so hard that he's knocked out. And Jean Valjean runs away with the silver only to be caught by the police, brought back to the priest the next day as he shows up with a bag full of silver and the, the police ready to bring him back to prison. Uh, they say, that, was this man with you? Did he rob from you as they speak to the priest? And the priest says, oh yes, he was with me. And Jean, Jean Valjean, you forgot to bring the candlestick. And he looks over to his wife, if you remember the scene, and, and she's like, no, 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 no. We're not giving him any more. And so she gives him the, the silver candlestick, puts it in the bag, and Jean Valjean, as he's about to leave the priest looks him in the eye and says today I have purchased your soul and that becomes a, a picture of redemption of grace it's such a beautiful picture of God's grace and that it's not God's condemnation or judgment that teaches us to say no to sin, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and it's God's grace that teaches us to say no to sin because we're so compelled by the grace of our God that not only would he purchase our lives out of slavery at the cost of his own son, but he'd make us a co-heir with Christ so that all the riches of Christ are given freely to us by grace. And I love that in the rest of the movie, Jean Valjean dedicates his life as he succeeds and moves forward with the, basically the silver he was given and becomes a very promising and successful businessman, he begins to care for the downtrodden and the broken, and in particular, if you remember, a prostitute. And Eventually, he takes care of her daughter as she dies and takes her in to be his own. And, and he just lives a life that's full of grace, a life that's evidence that he understands what he deserved and that he didn't get it, but instead he got Grace. One of the reasons why I love that movie is because I, when I watch it, I think, God, would it be that I would not forget that I was a prisoner to sin, that I was a rebel against you, that I deserved something far worse and I've gotten so much better so that I would be that generous and that gracious to all those you bring into my life like you have been to me. Consider what God said to Israel in Genesis 12 two through three. He says it to Abraham and this gets passed on to Israel so they'll never forget. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God blessed Israel richly not so that they would be blessed but so they would be a blessing. He gave them all that he gave them so that they would give it away and not just keep it for themselves. Apostle Peter later clarifies that this is now true for us as well in 1 Peter 2, 9-12. But you are a chosen race, just like Israel, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people." You and I have been chosen by God by no merits of our own. Just as Israel, at one point, God says to them, it wasn't because you were great that I chose you. It was because I was gracious. And the same is true for us. If you are belonging to the family of God, it's not because of anything you've done It's only because God in his grace and his mercy chose you and chose to forgive you of your sins through the work of Jesus Christ and chose to bring you into his family. And if you've received grace and mercy, you've not received it so that you might just sit on it, but so that you might give it away to others. See, God's grace sends us. It's a sending grace. It sends us as messengers of grace on a mission of grace. God has graciously pursued, rescued, and saved us so that he might, through us, graciously pursue, rescue, and save others. So let's consider what that looks like in the prophetic story of Jonah. First, we find that God's sending grace is also a saving grace. See, to be sent with grace, we must first of all be saved by grace. You can't be sent with grace if you haven't first received it in the way that it saved you. And it wasn't just Nineveh that needed saving. Let's be clear. It was Jonah who needed saving. And by very nature, because Jonah is telling the story of Israel, it was Israel that needed saving. And by the very nature that what God speaks to Israel, he also wants us to listen to. It's us who needs to be saved. And you might say to yourself, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I was saved several years ago when I... When I believed in my heart and confessed with my lips that Jesus is Lord, I was saved. And I would say, yes. And Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's by God's gospel that you are standing on, that you are being saved. You and I are still being saved. The reality is God's grace has not pervaded your life as far as he wants it to yet. There's still areas of your life he wants to rescue and renew and I'm I'm an evidence of that myself this last week again in my own life it's just sin against my wife, against a fellow member of my missional community that I had to confess today to and just say, you know what, I'm still in process. I am still being saved by the grace of God, but because I'm being saved, I know that I'm being sent because God is changing me for a purpose, not just for me, but for others who also need to know of a gracious God who's faithful even when we're not. That's what Jonah needed. And it, you, you, you need to understand, Nineveh really was a bad place. I mean, don't, don't somehow push it aside as though it wasn't wicked and evil. Nineveh, located on the bank of the Tigris River across from what is modern-day Mosul, uh, Iraq, was the capital of Assyria. It was large, prosperous, powerful, and perverse. The Assyrians were a very warlike people known for their violence, exhibited in horrific executions, they, they would actually remove people's body parts and maim them. They would flay off the skin of prisoners, behead them. And so when God tells Jonah, arise, verse 2, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me, he's using the very same language that he used in Genesis eighteen twenty-one when he referred to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the evil that had come up uh, to God's ears, that he had heard of it, how wicked a city it was. So put that into perspective. It's bad. And in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. I was in Joppa last fall fall when I was in Israel. Some of you remember I went there. Uh, It's a a, a boating community, as you wouldn't be surprised, because that's why Jonah went there. And as I went there, it was interesting for me just to think about this place being a pretty key place for God's good news to go to the Gentiles. Not only is it where Jonah runs away to Tarshish on a ship, but it's also where, if you remember, Peter receives a vision uh, that he's supposed to actually go and bring the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius. So it's, it's a pretty significant place in the narrative of God's grace and love going out to the nations, to the Gentiles. And so when I was there, I found myself just thanking God that he loved me enough a long time ago through Peter to actually reach out to the Gentiles and otherwise I wouldn't be here it's through Peter and Paul that we got to hear the gospel go to the Gentiles and now we're sitting in this room if you're not Jewish and knowing that Jesus is also our Messiah yeah. so yeah it's a, it was a bad place Jonah runs gets on a boat flees to Tarshish but at first you might think the reason why he runs is because he's afraid and you would be wrong that's not actually the main reason why he runs. Uh, we see in the end of the story, which I'm not going to give it all away, but Jonah 4, 2, he clarifies his reason as he praised the Lord and said, "'Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? "'That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, "'for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, "'slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love "'and relenting from disaster.'" It wasn't Jonah's fear of Nineveh that led him to run the other direction. It was his own self-righteousness leading to his hate of sinners. And especially in Jonah's own words, he goes on to say, I, I actually would rather die than for them to experience repentance and your grace. See, I want to be clear. This is what happens when we believe that we've earned our standing before God through our own good works because we learn to take such pride in our own behavior that we must look down on everyone else that we deem unworthy because they haven't measured up. And to think That anybody would get an equal standing and acceptance before God through repentance but not through performance is offensive to anyone who thinks it was their own performance that granted them God's acceptance. See, the very thing that you trust in for your standing before God becomes the thing which, by which you judge others with. So if your standing before God was your own works, then you're always going to look down on others who didn't do the works you did. But when you realize that you are not standing before God, accepted, loved, and forgiven because of your good works, but because of the works of God in Christ Jesus, then you get to apply that to everybody, and everybody can have the same grace that you've received, which means it levels the playing field. All of us are in equal standing before a God who lovingly accepts us through his own son. That's grace, and grace is incredibly offensive to the self-made man or woman because it says you can't do a thing in your own works to make God accept you. You must accept by faith the grace of God for you. You want to know if you know? Do you want to know if you know the God of grace? Do you want to know if you really know grace personally? Do you want to know if grace has made an impact on your heart? Consider how eager you are for sinners to be graciously loved and accepted by God. Or let me put it another way. Anyone come to your mind that you hope gets what they deserve instead of mercy and grace? And when you just, throughout this last week, you're like, somebody get them. I want justice for them. How, how hard, how loud has your cry been for someone to get what they deserve? I won't give it all away, but one of my favorite parts of the movie yesterday that I watched with my kids, we went to Wonder Woman, so you can judge me if you want, but we did it. <laughs> Throughout the movie, several times, they talked about not getting what you deserve. In fact, one of the, the, the guys who toast together before they go in the battle, they go, we hope, we hope we get what we need, but not what we deserve. Uh, Wonder Woman, Di- that Princess Diana's mom says, the world is not worthy of you. They don't deserve you. And she said, I, I, she talk, kept talking throughout the me- movie that we're not giving them what they deserve. That The God Eris is the God of war. The reason why he wants all of humanity to be destroyed is because he says that's what they all deserve. And she says, that may be the case, but I don't live ba- based on that. I live basically on what I believe, not what they deserve. Now, she doesn't quite go to share the gospel in the movie the whole time I'm going, that is a picture of the gospel that if we all got what we deserve, we'd all be destroyed. You should wake up every morning going, but for the grace of God, there go I. If it were not for his mercy, I would not have a breath today. Praise God for his grace. We should be overwhelmed with, over, with just joy that we're alive. And that should change the way we treat people. See, Jonah's concern is not what the Assyrians would do to him. That's not it but what God would do graciously for the Assyrians. That's his greatest concern. He doesn't want them to get grace. He wants them to get judgment. Who in your life are you hoping gets judgment? That's where grace has not reached far enough yet in your life. Jonah didn't just run from God. Jonah ran from grace. Jonah tried to run in the opposite direction of God's gracious Work in his life and God's gracious work through his life. God's gracious sending. And so he ran away from the presence of the Lord. We see that twice in those first three verses, that phrase. Which physically was running from the temple, running from Jerusalem, running the opposite direction. If you know your geography at all, you know that uh, Jerusalem, you could go, if you go uh, east, You you eventually get to the Mediterranean and then you get on the boat there, Joppa, and you head over to Spain, which is where he was headed, trying to run away from the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, let's just be clear, is an exercise in futility. Psalm 139 says, you cannot flee from God's presence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Jonah, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Clearly, Jonah doesn't get to run away from the gracious hand of God that is also going to be the sending hand of God. Let me ask you, are any of you trying to run away from God? Trying to run from what God has called you to do, trying to run away from the mission God's called you on, tried to run away from the coworkers he's called you to love, the neighbors he's called you to reach out to, the family members he's called you to forgive, extend grace to. Any of you running? I found that we miss out on the grace of God growing in our life, expanding in our life when we run away from the very thing that requires the grace of God in our life. I don't know about you, but every time God has called me to something, it's required the grace of God to do it. I regularly hear people say, man, I just, I just really want to know the presence and power of God. I want to understand what it's like to really be filled with the Spirit. I want to, I want to live this life that everybody talks about as abundant. And the, one of the first questions I'll ask is, what has God called you to do that requires your, that kind of power? that kind of presence, that kind of grace. Because whatever God calls you to, he will be the means by which you accomplish it and get there. When I hear people say, God will never call you to something that you can't do, I always point them to the Bible. Because it seemed like Jonah couldn't do it unless God changed his heart. It seems like Gideon couldn't do it unless God defeated the enemy. It's like David couldn't do it unless he took down Goliath. That, that Esther couldn't do it unless she gave favor to the king, and we could go on and on and on. Every single thing God calls his people to do requires the grace of God to do it. So maybe God's calling you to something right now. He's calling you to some people right now, and you're going, I can't do it. That means you're probably supposed to. Because he wants to give you grace. He's got a sending grace that's got to save you. And the very sending he's giving you might be the very means by which he saves you, to change you, to make you different. I love that about God. Do you know that I've changed as a pastor in the last two and a half years coming here? I used to tell people, I don't know that I would be a Christian if I weren't a pastor. And they go, wow, that means you're just into this for religion. No, no, I'm just saying that when I became a pastor, I realized how desperately need I was of God and how sinful I am and how, how much I have to get on my face and say, God, help me, rescue me, save me, change me. Some of you are just not nearly as in bad shape as I was. That's why you aren't in the position I'm in. Right? That should scare you, right? Like, oh, great, our pastor's in great need. No, that should actually give you hope. Because if, if I can acknowledge that I'm desperately in need of grace, then God, who is gracious and merciful, will give me a more grace to abound in my weakness. Maybe you're you're in that place going, I just don't, I don't have it. That's where it begins. You saying, I don't have it. I need grace. God, save me. And what's beautiful is God's grace not only saves you to send you, but God's grace at times is severe. God's sending grace is severe. God will do whatever it takes to turn you toward him and his purposes for your life. Here in this story, we see God hurls a great wind upon the sea. There's a mighty tempest on the sea. The, the ship is threatened. The mariners who are used to being in the storm are scared to death. They're, they're, they're praying it's so bad. Have you ever been with a sailor? Doesn't happen that much, right? They're praying. This is severe. The circumstances you might be in right now may be Maybe may be a storm that God has stirred up to try and get your attention and turn you around to him. It may not be. It may be that the circumstances you're in are the result of someone else's disobedience. But it's also possible that it's because of your disobedience. And God is trying to get your attention in the storm. C.S. Lewis, I have to do this because Justin told me I better quote C.S. Lewis or... I'm dead. Um, He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't it interesting? Where is Jonah in the middle of the storm? He's asleep. Someone needs to be woken up, someone needs to be roused from his slumber. Now, I, I know what that's like when I was 8 years old Fred Crow my Sunday school teacher which I just give a little props to our children's ministry workers he told me when I was 8 God's called you Jeff to be a preacher of the gospel and I ran as far away from that as I possibly could until I was 21 I wanted nothing to do with that calling and you know what God brought a lot of storms into my life to wake me up to rouse this rebellious runner, to wake me up and show me my life was far better off in surrender to him than running from him. And he changed me forever and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for Fred Crow, who I found out later, prayed for me every single day of my life until he died. He prayed since I was eight year old, till God called me and I was baptized in the Lake Michigan And then he prayed for me. Let me know I'm praying for you every day. And he prayed for me until his dying day that God would use me and work through me. And I thank God that he didn't run from the call. And you might go, well, that that was just prayer. No, it's not just prayer. Some of you, the greatest thing that God will call you to do is consistently pray for people that will, will only come to faith because of the prayers of God's saints. And I don't know how that works in the economy of God's sovereignty and providence, but it's true. What has he called you to? Who has he called you to love? Who has he called you to show grace to? And some of you, it's called to be prayers for people like me, I needed it. But what's really true in my life is that those years of running didn't just hurt me, I hurt a lot of people. I Thank God for his grace in my life that he's forgiven me, but it doesn't discount the wreckage. It doesn't discount the pain. And I say that because there's some of you who are missing out not only on the grace of God but because you're running from the grace of God you're bringing havoc into other people's lives either intentionally or or overtly. Some not so overtly, more covertly because there's people who aren't experiencing the grace of God that they need to receive through you. Please, Please don't discount your life as though it doesn't make a difference. It caused a storm in this story. But God is gracious again. I love this story of grace. We're going to see it over and over and over again. I love it that the sailors who don't even know God are the means by which God wakes Jonah up. Let me just say this. There's probably some people in your life right now possibly don't even know Jesus, don't know God, are probably a better picture of what it's like to follow God than there are some of the rest of us. And God might be using them to wake you up right now. Pay attention. God has made all of us in his image. And whether people know him or not, they are image bearers of God. And God uses all kinds of means of grace to get your attention. Sometimes it's people that you think he could never use. Don't write them off. Pay attention. And once the lot falls on Jonah, as they cry out, he confesses. I love this. This may be one of the the brightest moments in Jonah's life in the story. You'll see. And I'm sorry about that. It gets worse from today. Here he he cries out, he says, I'm they say, Who are you? He says, I'm a Hebrew. What is that? That's a way of saying, My God is Yahweh. Yahweh, the God who revealed himself as the the God who is full of compassion and abounding in love, slow to anger. The, The God who is for you, not against you. That's what he's professing. He's saying out loud. It's like he's sharing the good news. And then he says, he's one who fears and worships the God of creation. In other words, the God who brought up the storm and is in control of it and can stop it at any moment. That's the God I worship, Jonah says. And I love their response. They seem to fear God more than Jonah. Like, what do we have to do? See, part of the prophetic message to Israel and even to us is to show that sometimes the nations are more responsive than we are, that some of us who've been walking in faith for, for a long time have forgotten our first love, that somehow it's become second hand or second nature or pot- potentially it's just become second thought. We don't think about it anymore. We don't, we don't revel in it. We don't become amazed at God's grace. We forget the fear of the Lord and the grace of the Lord. And what I want you to hear, family, is some of us need to be awakened to that first day. We need to be brought back to when we first found grace. Don't you love it when a newborn is brought into someone's life? Everyone kind of like wakes up again. They're like, ha! I mean, partly because you woke up in the middle of the night and you don't get any sleep. But there's also this part that's like, yes, life! I love it when a newborn Christian comes into a community... And they, they're, just, they're just full of awe. Like, do you guys know what we have? They invite everybody. Like they're the best evangelists because their life just got changed. And for some of us, we've been in this far too long and we've forgotten what we have. Children, they remind us to wonder, don't they? They remind us that, that this world is so full of awe. Well, I loved it when Maggie shared her first words. It wasn't mom or dad. You know what it was? when she looked at her older brother's picture, probably wasn't the greatest art at that point, and she went, wow. Maggie's first word was, wow. Everywhere we went, it was like, wow. Wow. And she got that same reaction from us, so I think that's why she kept doing it. Wow. We're all like, <laughs> But you know. well, there was this part of me that's like, I want that. Why don't we wake up in the morning and go, wow, his mercy is new. I'm breathing. Why don't we, when we fail and we can confess our sins freely because we know he forgives us, we should at that moment go, wow, grace is amazing. When we look at the cross, we should say, wow, who loves like that? Wow. Have you lost your wow? Because if you have, you're not not eager for others to, to get the wow. You're not eager for others to get the grace. It's like you've forgotten. And we all do this. But God doesn't give up on us. He still looks at us and goes, wow. Those are my kids. Yeah, they're a mess. But I love them. And he doesn't give up on Jonah. Jonah tells him what he's done. He takes ownership of it. He suggests that maybe he should pay with his own life. Which is a picture of true brokenness, by the way. It's an ownership and a willingness. Ownership, yes, I did it. Willingness to say whatever it takes. I, I, I want to seek reconciliation. I want to seek restitution where necessary, whatever it takes. Because someone who's truly broken over the sin and really knows what it really is is willing to sacrifice for it, because they understand how wretched our rebellion is to a holy, loving, faithful God. And what I love is this picture tells us someone actually has to be given to deal with rebellion. In this case, it's Jonah. Which is the last part. God's sending grace is not only saving and severe, but it's sacrificial. The sailors do everything they can to avoid throwing Jonah over. Even though they know that he's guilty, they want to do whatever it takes to save his life. Now you want to talk about people who get grace? The sailors got grace more than Jonah did. They don't want to treat him in accordance with what his sins deserve. They want to save him. And they paddle as hard as they can. But just like no human can save themselves and none of us can save any others from the wrath of God, they can't out-paddle the storm. I love it because it really is a picture of many of us who are growing weary, paddling through our works to try and measure up, to try and be accepted, to try and earn our salvation. And let me tell you, if you're asleep in the boat, it may not just be because you're dull to God's voice, it might be that you're exhausted trying to earn your salvation through your good works. And God wants to arouse you this morning and say, you can't. One must be given for you. One who is without sin. One who can calm the storm of the wrath of God. One who can save the sinful sailors crying out, save us. And we know that Jonah being tossed over points us forward to the greater Jonah, Jesus, who was blessed by the Father and sent to save a rebellious people, who didn't run the other way, but ran straight towards sinners, who ate with sinners, drank with sinners, loved sinners, healed sinners, proclaimed good news to sinners, called sinners to repent and turn back to the God who was not against them, but for them. And then he not only called them to repent, but then he walked the hill of Calvary. He certainly did in the garden say, God, if there's another way, just like the sailors on the boat, if there's another way, we'll try everything we can, but we don't want him to have to die. Jesus himself, who is without sin, says, Father, if there's another way, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And God the Father says, there is no other way. Apart from the shedding of bloods, there is no forgiveness of sins. And apart from the perfect sacrifice of a perfect man who'd never sinned, we all are hopeless, drowning in the wrath of God because of our sin. But Jesus took the wrath of God, the tidal wave of all that was coming against us, and he absorbed it and satisfied it for us. And on the third day rose again so that he could proclaim, it has been done for you. You can have grace. And not just grace so you can be forgiven, but grace that you can be sent. God's grace sends us as messengers of grace on a mission of grace, family. Let me ask, have you been running from God? Today may be the day when you stop paddling your boat of works righteousness or paddling your boat of fearful uh, running. Stop running. Turn. Receive the embrace of a God who loves you. Maybe there's others of you. It's not, you're running from God. You're running from God's calling. You're running from grace. God's put people in your life and he wants them to receive grace through you and you've been running and I want to call you, stop running. Maybe the storm of your life is God's way of rousing you, waking you up. And if you've received his grace, family, I pray that you would give his grace. Ask yourself, is there anybody right now I'm withholding grace is there anybody right now that God's calling me to extend grace to? Caleb had his 13th birthday party yesterday, and they did a bigger, bigger and better hunt. You know what that is? You start with something really small, and you have to trade it in all around the neighborhood, and they start with a rubber band, and came back with some pretty cool stuff. We just do it because we're looking for shopping, free shopping opportunities. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we have a lot of junk now. But one of the doors that they knocked at, they, they noticed that there was still a Christmas tree up in the front room. And as the woman opened the door, she said, I don't really have time to talk right now. And then she shared that her husband had recently passed. Sometimes God makes it really obvious who he's sending you to. We now know as a family, that's, that's part of our call. How do we reach out to this woman who's lost and who needs to know the grace of God? We're not alone. Every single one of you has been put where you're at on purpose because there are people that God's already at work in the lives of ahead of you, preparing them for grace. Will you give the grace you've received? I pray we will, family. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the story of Jonah, would you remind us that we are not altogether different? We don't want to sit in prideful condemnation of a prophet who ran from grace when we ourselves at times are running from you or running from the call you've placed on our life. Would you so deeply satisfy us and make us aware of grace that it would wake us up out of our slumber, that we would be like Maggie and we would say, wow, again. And we would go out with a sense of awe to a world who needs to meet a God who is so loving, powerful, gracious, and forgiving. Forgive us and help us and send us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.